This morning, our message will come from Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. These are the words of the Lord. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Our gracious Heavenly Father, this is the word you have given to us. By your Spirit now, open it to us. Make us strong and vibrant and joyful that we might be your faithful disciples. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I want to speak to you again about the opportunities and responsibilities we have as Christians in the wake of the Center for Medical Progress's release of its undercover videos involving Planned Parenthood and the selling of baby body parts. I want to keep this fresh before you because I believe God has given us some unique opportunities and also because I believe God will hold us uniquely responsible for how faithfully we respond to them. One of the opportunities we have stems from the fact that the release of these shocking videos provides a moment of moral clarity. It doesn't provide complete moral clarity or automatic moral clarity, but it provides a lot more moral clarity than we have experienced for some decades in this country. Decades that have been characterized not only by moral fogginess, but by the insistence that everything is necessarily morally foggy, fifty shades of gray and all that, because there is no moral absolute. Everything, we are told, is relative. And any pushing back against that relativistic position, that relativistic absolute, if you will, has been met with shout-down slogans. You can't impose your morality on others. You can't legislate morality. And along with all that goes the myth that you can have a culture, a society, or a government that is morally neutral, or more precisely, non-moral. The Planned Parenthood videos give us a unique opportunity to witness to God by undermining the myth of moral neutrality and by showing the dire consequences of attempting to fashion any morality that is not based on the one true creator God who made mankind in his image and who has redeemed mankind through his son, Jesus Christ. Consider the president of Planned Parenthood, Cecily Richards, and her reaction to these videos, and I quote, The depravity of these tactics and the invasion, the willingness of this group to invade the most personal, private space, and to violate the medical relationships, I've never seen anything as low. Now these words are the words of moral condemnation. Indeed, depravity is often a religious theological term. Richard's, Richard's words display moral outrage and a moral system on which her outrage is based. It is an inverted moral system to be sure but it is most definitely a moral system and an objective one. To Ms. Richards, depravity applies not to Planned Parenthood, which is deliberately killing babies and selling their body parts. It applies to the Center for Medical Progress for exposing Planned Parenthood's practices. The most personal private space refers not to someone's home, or to operating rooms or physicians' offices, nor to the womb, 
the baby's home, but to the restaurants and business offices where Planned Parenthood negotiated baby body part prices. Medical relationships refers not to doctor-patient relationships, but to the relationship between Planned Parenthood and its buyers of baby body parts. Violate is a word that we normally associate with rape or home invasion or identity theft or perhaps killing a baby in the womb. But here, Ms. Richards uses it to apply to none of those, but to the fact that the Center for Medical Progress turned out not to be a legitimate buyer. All of that is what Richards isn't referring to when she says she has never seen anything as low. Now, there is an important lesson here. Morality is inescapable. It is not a question of whether morality will reign in the public square of America. It is a question of which morality. And this leads to a very important point concerning our history as a nation. America was founded, objectively, on the morality of a creator who had endowed each person with unalienable rights, including life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That language, of course, comes directly from the Declaration of Independence. This is the morality that gave us more freedom and prosperity than any society in recorded history. Now, I am not here saying that America is or ever was perfect or anywhere close to it, or that we had some kind of a magical formula, or that we were inherently better than other peoples. But there is no question that this was a unique beginning in recorded history. And it is a beginning that God shed his grace on. There were many, many, many Christians here centuries, a couple of centuries before the Declaration of Independence. Those who first settled here were devout Christians, and that had a very definite influence. And this morality, as imperfect as we were, is something that God blessed with more freedom and prosperity than any society in recorded history. And that morality is what corrected us whenever we went astray, as we did with slavery, for example. What was it that pricked our conscience and would not go away with the institution of slavery? It was that the Creator has endowed each person with unalienable rights, including life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It would not go away. This is the morality that our country was founded on. But this morality is not automatic. It can be replaced. And it has been. The Creator God has been tossed out. And when He goes, so do unalienable rights. Without the Creator, there are no unalienable rights. Without the Creator God, who is above every person, above every authority, above every institution, above every government and ruler, what you are left with is might makes right. After all, if we are just protoplasm, if we are just randomness, if we are just molecules in motion, 
There is no reason that anyone can give why we should have any meaning or worth, let alone rights. Now, the way the new morality has taken over in America is very, very subtle because it lulls Americans. It lulls them by mouthing the soothing old language of unalienable rights. But then it redefines who is a person and who is not. Without the Creator God defining all peoples as persons made in His image and therefore uniquely valuable, the matter is up for grabs. And this is precisely where might makes right comes in. For history shows us that inevitably a small class of ruling elites will acquire the power to redefine person in a way that suits their interests. And when that happens, you can count on it, millions will lose their freedom and ultimately their lives. The blood is going to flow. In the 19th century, slaves were defined, or rather redefined, as non-persons. In the 20th century, Jews and other so-called undesirables were redefined as non-persons at various times. Indeed, the 20th century was the great century of redefinition. And it is no coincidence that the 20th century is the bloodiest century on record, with over 100 million dying, not in war, I'm not talking about war, but over 100 million dying at the hands of the ruling elites in their own homelands. And all of it was perfectly moral under the new morality. Slave traders, many of whom were Muslim, felt perfectly justified in what they did. And so did Hitler, Stalin, and Mao. It was all for the greater good. But in the end, the new morality always results in someone's convenience taking precedence over someone else's life. The fact that the present proponents of the new morality would now condemn those past atrocities is no comfort at all. For like the religious leaders of Jesus' day, proponents of the new morality have proven very adept at murdering innocents only to later make a great show of adorning their tombs. It bears remembering that Planned Parenthood's founder, Margaret Sanger, was in perfect sync with the Nazis. Like Hitler, Sanger was a proponent of eugenics and wanted to control the gene pool, wanted to eliminate undesirables, which for Sanger meant not Jews, but African Americans. It also bears remembering that even today, a grossly disproportionate number of Planned Parenthood centers are located in inner city African American neighborhoods. And a grossly disproportionate number of Planned Parenthood's abortions are performed on inner city Afri African American women. If Planned Parenthood has changed its goals since Sanger's day, you would not be able to tell it from the statistics. Now, there are two facts 
about the new morality that one should never forget. The first is that none of the atrocities of the past or present are inherently wrong under the new morality. So if they condemn something in the past, it is cold comfort indeed, because there is nothing inherently moral under their system other than opposing the ruling elites. The second thing we should never forget is that under the new morality, we end up at the mercy of the ruling elites. And their mercy has a long track record of being merciless. Their mercy, after all, is guided by the new moral conscience we see in Cecily Richards. A moral conscience that is shared by the powerful political and media forces that have locked arms with her to defend Planned Parenthood at all costs and to keep it funded at taxpayers' expense. Now, a bit of moral confusion that is often injected into this when we try to work our way out of it with some clarity is the contention that the baby is a person to everybody except the mother. For the mother, the baby is a non-person. For the mother only, the baby is tissue. For the mother only, the baby is just simply something uh, wanted or unwanted growing inside her body. And the modern way that this is stated is that abortion is always justified for the life or the health of the, or the mother. You will hear this put to political candidates in this fashion. Would you prohibit abortion even for the life of the mother? Now this is a setup to make anyone affirming that look like a monster. And it is fodder for the so-called war on women. But this argument is built on a false premise. That killing the baby can be necessary to protect the mother. That is false. Deliberately killing the baby never does anything for the mother's health, as many doctors have testified. One physician in Dublin, Ireland, who has delivered tens of thousands of babies, said that it is never necessary to kill the baby to help the mother. Now, it can be necessary sometimes to deliver the baby prematurely for the mother's help. But in that case, the hope and intent is to save both the mother and the baby. In modern America, remember that abortion means specifically deliberately terminating the life of the baby. Deliberately killing the baby never does anything for the life of the mother, only her convenience. So there is no justification for intentionally taking the lives of babies in the womb. The way to cut through the moral fog and to clear this up is to ask one simple question. Is the unborn baby a person? Is it a human life? If so, we must treat it as a person so that any medical procedures with a pregnant mother are procedures affecting two people, not one. It's two people's life and health that we're concerned to preserve, not just one. And that is the question that is being studiously avoided today. The new morality always results in someone's convenience taking precedence over someone else's life. In America's case, that has occurred 56 million times to the most innocent, defenseless, and helpless among us. Hitler 
Stalin. Mao. This is the bloody lineage in which America now stands. Like slaves and Jews, the unborn have been redefined as non-persons. And if you think the redefinition process will stop with the unborn, you are mistaken. History has proven to the contrary. There is absolutely no logical stopping point between the inconvenient unborn and the inconvenient elderly, or the inconvenient sick, or the inconvenient politically incorrect. Jesus came saying, my life for yours. The new morality says, your life for mine. Pick which morality you want to live under. And pick you must, for there is no other choice. This is the message we must bring. This is the message we now have a unique opportunity to bring. This is the message God will hold us responsible to bring. What does that mean practically day to day? What do we do? First of all, we pray. We speak to the God who controls all things. We speak to the God who has decided to save this cursed race and this cursed world. We pray to this God and we ask his blessing. We ask for him to grant repentance. Secondly, do everything you can to keep this before the eye of our country and its people. One of the things that comes out is that many Americans haven't seen these videos and they haven't heard about it because most of the media outlets and the television stations will not cover this. Why? Because they stand arm in arm with Planned Parenthood enforcing the new morality. Right? They promote the idea constantly, if you say anything about this, of war on women, war on women. Well, you know, if there's a war, you have to have two uh, combatants, two sides combating against one another. They're saying the women are the victim. Well, who's on the other side? Who's the other combatants on this war on women? Well, when you want to know who the combatants are on the other side, you look at who was dying. Who's dying in this war? It's babies in the womb. This is not a war on women. This is a war on babies. Now, we need to take social media and every opportunity we have to keep this before um, the conscience of our country. And we're trying to reawaken the conscience of our country. This means using social media, whether it's on Facebook, sharing things and, and uh, liking things. Or, and uh, if you do Twitter, uh, that, that kind of thing. And let me, let me point something out. This can be hard for Christians, especially the older generation, my generation, because we didn't grow up with all this social media, you know, and so we're not really that into it. We don't really know how to, to do it for a long time. I uh, didn't even do Facebook. I refused to do Facebook till uh, my daughter Gwen, Hurricane Gwen as I call her, um, came down for a visit and set me up on Facebook and it was done. It was just, there it was. I was on Facebook. But there's a, there's a lot of things like um, the use of the hashtags, you know, and it's like I didn't understand what that was. I mean, in my generation, that's the pound sign. 
And I've kept going, pound, pound this and pound that. And what's all this pound business? You know, and that's, well, no, it's a hashtag. It's a new thing. And you put a little slogan with it. And then when I would share things on Facebook or like things or reshare them, I, I wouldn't put any, I thought, I'm not going to do this hashtag stuff. It's silly. I'm just going to make my point. Well, you need to do the hashtags because the hashtags are what Facebook and everybody counts when they, when they put what's trending and what's not trending. They don't count your content. They count the hashtags. So you got to put the hashtags in there so it gets counted. So let me, I'm, all this, I'm schooling on social media is free, by the way, it's free. So we have to be dragged into this if you're part of the older generation. We have to take hold of this and use it. Part of it is just the way that we were brought up in the older generation. All of this, whether it's the social media stuff, whether it might be going for, uh, to a march for life or something like that, it's distasteful to us. It's not that we don't believe in it and stand for the cause, but all of that activity is distasteful to us because we were brought up in a generation where you're taught that if you're a Christian, you're not a complainer. You're not a complainer and you're not a troublemaker. You keep your mouth shut and you soldier on. That's pretty much the way we were raised. And a lot of this stuff seems a lot like complaining. Complaining and trying to get attention. Well, we have to accept that things have changed and we have to break out of what is comfortable for, for us. We definitely need to get outside our comfort zones. We have to remember uh, that, you know, a lot, of the, a lot of the things that we associate marches with or protests with or social media with are causes that we don't like that we stand against. And so it's hard for us because it makes us seem like them. But we have to remember that prophets are never lauded in their own day. Bonhoeffer was not lauded in the days of the Nazis or during World War II. Bonhoeffer is lauded after he's dead. Wilberforce was not lauded when he was uh, using all of his force and, and activities to end slavery in Britain. He was not lauded. He was seen as a troublemaker. He's lauded after the fact. Like Jeremiah and Jesus in the scriptures, they're not lauded in their own day. They're regarded as troublemakers, disturbers of the peace, and disturbers of the social fabric. That's the way the early Christians were regarded. If you go back to World War II, we, we look at the fact, and we look at the rise of Hitler, and we go, how could this have happened? And one of the interesting things is that there was one group that could have stopped him cold. It was the German officers' corps, particularly the senior officers. That was really the, the class of nobility in Germany at the time. And they could have stopped him along the way. What stopped them from stopping him? Because they thought he was a dangerous idiot and buffoon. That's what they thought. He's ridiculous. What stopped them from stopping him? It was their own sense of nobility and dignity. It was beneath them to deal with this idiot. It prevented them from acting until it was too late. We cannot allow that to happen to us. We cannot stand on our dignity and our nobility and think all of this is beneath us. And so I present these things to you. 
I commend them to your conscience. I pray that you will make them matters of prayer. Don't let this lie. One of the things that has afflicted modern America is that um, we're very impatient. We want quick results. And if we don't get quick results, we give up. We move on. We've lost interest. We can't allow that to happen with regard to this. We can't go, oh, well, we tried that. You know, for a month I tweeted out and I did a lot of Facebook stuff and, uh, okay, I'm bored now, I'm moving on. We cannot do that. God will hold us accountable for the witness we bear. I commend these things to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.